Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya Tanaka's Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka Polanco and Bronco Kokomo Friday and welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today presented by Line and Kugels. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and I need the podcast more than ever, Scotty. I've been distracted all day, all night by this <laughs> damn Dogecoin thing. I sold off too early. I tried buying back in. I have no idea what I'm doing. If anybody out there with crypto experience wants to help me, please, you know where to find me. Twitter at roto underscore Frank. Email us uh, frank.sample at cbsinteractive.com because I have no idea what I'm doing and I need all the help I can get. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing fine. Hopefully better than I don't have, I don't have any money that. in Dogecoin, so that, Good. Uh, <laughs> that probably, helps, probably helps me feel fine. But yeah, I'm good. I'm great. Yeah. That definitely helps because it's been a it's been a stressful day, stressful in a good way, but whatever. Enough of that. Today on the show we have our week four preview. We have prospects to stash. Scott wrote a, a long article about it. Fourteen different prospects that you should be holding in different types of leagues, from shallower to deeper ones. We'll talk about those a little bit later on. And of course, the Thursday recap. So let's get things started with the oh my goodness gracious player of the day. Oh my good goodness gracious! Why don't you kick us off here, Scott? Oh, me. You had the bigger one, I thought, but that's fine. Yeah. I'm going to go with Jake Junis, as he's known on uh, CBSSports.com. Jacob Junis, as you may know him on other sites. Royals pitcher. I talked about him after his first start, which looked, looked pretty solid in that first start and, and how he had uh, kind of changed his arsenal a little bit, introduced a cutter to it at the insistence of pitching coach Cal Eldred because he felt like Junis's arm angle was ideal for a cutter. He looked really nasty in this second start, which uh, against the Blue Jays, so a good offensive team, two earned runs in five innings, struck out six, had 11 whiffs, seven from that new cutter on 81 pitches. So that's, you know, that's a good whiff rate. Two really good starts in a row, and, and he leaned on that cutter even more in this start. Uh, I got to actually see the cutter for the first time Thanks to Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja. He was salivating over it. Yeah, it looks pretty nasty. It looks pretty filthy. I think uh, last I looked, Junis's roster ship, I think, was still under 20%. So he's widely available. And I didn't pick him up anywhere after, after kind of touting him last time. Wish I had. Because now there's going to be more competition. I think, uh, I think it's something you might want to do. I want to do it. Yeah, I see you with the meme game on Twitter, Scott. The uh, the Drake meme scouting 
scouting Jake Junis versus picking him up. So I, I did enjoy a little bit of that. Yeah. I thought he looked good. Well, this is how this is how lame I am. I knew of the meme. <laughs> I knew I wanted to use that meme. Didn't know who the guy was in the meme. I you so. know, I, I was just about <laughs> to, to ask you, do you know who Drake is, Scott? I mean, I've heard the name Drake. I didn't recognize him. Yeah, I had to. I had to. Fi- I had to do some interesting googling to figure that out. But I eventually figured it out. Got the meme. Yeah, go All check right. it out. Twitter.com at CBS Scott White. Well, you've got a long weekend ahead, Scott. So uh, if you want to dabble into Drake's greatest hits, feel free to do so <laughs> to familiarize yourself with him. I thought Janus, uh, Junis looked good as well. Uh, it was only 81 pitches. He did have 11 whiffs. You mentioned all of that. Uh, really only two pitches, 67% fastball on the start, 31% cutter. It's working for him thus far. I just wonder, you know, he, how- he has a slider. I mean, the slider used yeah. to be his swing and miss pitch, and uh, he threw more of them in the first start. I think I think the cutter was just going so well he didn't need it in this start. Yeah, makes sense. He, he is 14% rostered, so you mentioned the roster rate was under 20%. And his next start is scheduled to come against the Tampa Bay Rays at home in Kauffman Stadium. So that's really not a bad matchup. The Tampa Bay Rays are struggling quite a bit. Maybe they'll have Wander Franco in their lineup by the time he faces them. Uh, We're still awaiting to find out more about that. All right. Jake Junis for Scott. Oh, my goodness gracious. And we've got to talk about Patrick Corbin because, oh, gosh. Uh, Going up against the Arizona Diamondbacks lineup that did not include, obviously, Cattell Marte, Cole Calhoun was sitting out, and Christian Walker is also on the IL. The final line for Corbin in this start, two innings pitched, six hits, ten runs, nine of those are earned, so must have been bad defense behind him, four walks to just one strikeout, the fastball velocity right around 90 miles per hour for Patrick Corbin, that's where he was at basically all of last year. He has given up 15 earned runs over his first two starts, Scott. He has allowed 32 earned runs over his last six starts dating back to last season. What do we do with Patrick Corbin? I think I'm done. I think I'm done with Patrick Corbin. The velocity that was down two miles per hour last year, it hasn't picked up, and he's just kidding. But it was the most hittable pitcher in baseball last year, and by that I mean he led the majors in hits allowed. I guess there are different ways you could measure that, but that's what I mean by it. He, and I think he had the highest whip, too, of qualifying pitchers. So that is correct. He was, he was bad. And it's not looking any better. I actually wrote about 12, uh, 12 worrisome starting pitchers and kind of gave my concern level for each of them. Corbin was in the highest, at, at the highest level of concern, which was red, like a stoplight. Here's what I wrote prior to this start. Let's give him another start or two just to be extra super duper sure. But I'm thinking this one ends in a drop. I don't think we need an extra two starts. I think just the one will suffice. I would drop him for Junis. I would drop him for Fulmer. I would drop him for anyone higher in than that, obviously. Wow, so you're just completely done. Yep. It's, it's over. So when we look at your rankings the next time you update them, Scott, Patrick Corbin will be basically outside of your top 75 starting pitchers. Does that sound right? Sounds right. All righty, you heard it from the man himself. We are done with Patrick Corbin. And I don't really are have... Are you? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I'm like, not going to speak for you. I don't have anything to defend. Like, what can I say to defend Patrick Corbin at this point? Outside of the fact that, okay, it's two starts, but it's also two starts dating back to last year, as I highlighted. Didn't look great in the spring either. It's I, I You probably invested not a good amount, but something decent, a top 10 or 12 round pick in, in Patrick Corbin. So... 
I understand maybe if you want to see a, a few more starts just because of that reason, but this is the time of year where if you don't pick people up, you might miss out on the next breakout for the entire season. So I'm with you. I, I really, there's nothing that I can say to defend Patrick Corbin at this point. So yeah, I'm going to be dropping him way down my ranks as well. Patrick Corbin, you heard it here. We're done. Scott, you were not on the podcast yesterday. Obviously, Carlos Rodon threw a no-hitter, was a few inches away from being a complete game if he didn't hit Roberto Perez on his foot with a with a slider that got a little bit away from him. Uh, just your thoughts on Carlos Rodon in general and how high he's moving up your ranks. So he's in, I think he's just outside my top 40 now. Just outside my top 40, which... You know, I, I mean, I mean that meaning I'm high on him. Hopefully, that's what that sounds like. I know sometimes people, after you move a guy way up, they're like, "Why do you only have him here?" And it's like, "Well, come on, <laughs> it's two starts." But it's been two very impressive starts from a guy who was long thought to have potential, a third overall pick, of course, uh, and you know, didn't quite take off to his first few years. Then he had the Tommy John surgery, came back last year, didn't seem quite right. Awesome in spring training. New pitching coach for the White Sox. Tweaked his delivery. And this is this is the pitching coach. This was this was Lucas Giolito's high school coach. And Giolito's credit him for uh allowing him to take off a couple years ago when remember it looked like for a while there, Giolito, formerly the top pitching prospect in baseball, was going to be a lost cause. So similar situation here for Rodon. It has the great pedigree. You know, it's been longer since we've thought of him in that way, but it's still there. And, um, you know, incorporating his lower body more, not throwing across his body anymore. It's made the delivery more repeatable. It's made it, it's given him better command. I think the most impressive part about this start specifically was how he picked up velocity the deeper it went, like he was 92, 93 miles per hour in the first three innings. Then it was up to 94, 95 in the next three. Then it was more like 96, 97 in the last three. And he clocked 99 in the ninth inning. And it's like, if he has that kind of gas and reserve, um, like why why shouldn't he be like a, a workhorse for the White Sox on top of everything else? I, I feel like Tony LaRusso has got to be seeing that and thinking the same thing. And the whiffs picked up as the velocity picked up because he started out not missing any many bats. And I was getting, well, I don't know. He struck out nine last time. But but he ended up with, I think, 18 or 19 whiffs, which was even more than he had in that 19 strikeout start or that nine strikeout start. I see a lot more to like than to dislike. Scott moved Carlos Rodon up to SP45 in his ranks. And how about this? I didn't even look at your ranks today, Scott. I was updating mine. I have Carlos Rodon at SP. 46. So one spot behind you. He is inside the top 50 for both of us, as is Trevor Rogers, who we will talk about a little bit later on as well. But first, hey, FBT listeners, March Madness and the Masters may be over, but the sports calendar never sleeps. There's the NHL trade deadline, daily NBA, NHL and MLB action, the RBC Heritage Tournament, NFL Draft News, and so much more. And CBS Sports HQ is your home for all of it. CBS Sports HQ is the only sports news streaming service that's completely free. How do you watch CBS Sports HQ? Easy. It's available for free on your computer, your mobile device, or your connected TV via the CBS Sports apps. If you're more of a YouTube person, subscribe to CBS Sports HQ on YouTube for all the latest sports news videos on demand. And I mentioned it there, the CBS Sports app. If you don't have it on your mobile device, Get it. You can watch HQ on there. You can read all of our articles. It's not just 
stuff from the MLB side of CBS Sports. It's the fantasy side. You can read all of our articles there. So there's a lot going on in the CBS Sports app. So make sure you download that as well. Some news and notes from Thursday. The Padres intend to activate Fernando Tatis Jr. on Friday. And I guess I got to eat my hat, Scott, because, man, I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been getting tweets, I've been getting emails, people in the YouTube chat, YouTube comments, doesn't matter, you you name it, I've gotten, gotten it. So I said it when it first happened, if he's activated in 10 days, I will eat my hat. Scott, what is the best way to cook a hat? I don't even know. I don't know either. A pan full of butter, that works for most things. Bacon <laughs> grease. I've got chat. You gonna get rid of that Rangers hat finally? Yeah, my Rangers are off to a bit of a slow start, but... Good thing I'm a White Sox fan too, right? So they just had a no-hitter, obviously. I'm going to the Yankee game Friday. That should be fun. Uh, if anyone has any fun recipes for how I should eat my hat, let me know. The Blue Jays placed Jordan Romano and Ross Stripling on the injured list. Anthony Kay started on Thursday. Scott, is it safe to say that Rafael Dolis is definitely the next man up for the Blue Jays in terms of four saves? Well, I know better than to say that because <laughs> I've... I've lived in 2021, my friend. Nothing in life been, is definite. It's been a wild ride, but Dolis got five saves down the stretch last year after Romano got hurt. And uh, I don't know why the same manager wouldn't turn back to him now that he's faced with that same, obviously, Julian Merriweather out with a, a hip injury, right? Yes. Uh, he's yeah. on the IL so, as well. So, yeah, he's, he's without Merriweather. He's without... Romano after losing last year it was Giles and Romano and Delise was third in line I think Delise will be third in line again how will he do I mean he's he had a 150 ERA and 11.6 K per nine last year but walked a lot of guys I think more innings than not Delise will not allow a run you know and that's as long as he does that then he'll probably be fine he'll probably get saves so I uh you know, it might only be a short-term stay in the role. But I think if you're looking for saves, uh, it seems like a pretty good bet for them for at least the next couple weeks. How much fab would you spend on Dolis in a category league, Scott? I mean, it just it depends on the league. And <laughs> Look, if you meet Garcia still out there, you got to take Garcia first. For right? sure, 100%. Certainly if Emmanuel Classe is out there, and that's in like one-third of leagues. He got his third save today with Karen Shack and with Green going right before him. So obviously him before, Yumi Garcia before. Trevino? Trevino over Dolis as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, I would take Lou Trevino because that it has a chance to be longer term. And again, it, maybe maybe Dolis isn't the one to get saved. We can't say until he's getting them. But I, I think right after that, right after like the Trevino range, that's when you prioritize Dolis and I don't know. Spend two or three bucks on him. I don't, it depends how depends how badly you need him, but I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't blow the whole budget on a guy who might get two saves and then he's out of the job again. Would you rather have Dolis or Kendall Graveman who picked up a save for the Mariners on Thursday? Ah, uh, yes, I knew there was someone we were we were forgetting. I would say Graveman because there's a chance it's a longer-term thing. Now, for what is worth, Scott Service after the game said, okay, based on the batters coming up in the sixth, this was sixth and seventh inning, right? Because it was a doubleheader. Yep. Uh, sixth inning, it made sense to bring in Montero there and then go to Graveman in the seventh. So he was, he was talking about it like it was a leverage thing. 
Uh, I, yeah, I'm maybe, maybe, but Montero's already blown three saves. Gra- Graveman has yet to allow a run, and I think has only allowed like one or two hits, right? And uh, I, I, it just seems like, as with the Merriweather situation, all the momentum's with Graveman right now, and it'd just be very easy to keep going back to him. Yeah, one hit so far in six innings. Graveman throws really hard. He, he's never been much of a bat misser. Maybe that's maybe that's changing. I, I I don't know. I see people talking about him like he can miss bats, but I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. But is he good enough to get the job done? I, I think he is. So, yeah, I would go with him. Graveman behind Trevino, but ahead of Dolis. Uh Johnny Cueto landed on the IL with a grade one lat train on Thursday. Does this mean Logan Webb is headed back to the rotation, Scott? I think eventually Logan Webb will be back in the rotation, and the, this might be the easiest path in. Yeah, I, he uh, he relieved Cueto the other day, right? Yes. So if if he does just take Cueto's spot, I think he'll line up for two starts next week. So that'll be fun. Hyping him as a two-start sleeper again. <laughs> that is Logan Webb. Uh, they already mentioned that Alex Wood is returning on Sunday, and he will be starting against the Miami Marlins. Alex Kirloff was optioned back to the Twins alternate training site on Thursday. Nomar Mazzara was placed on the IL for the Tigers. This should mean more playing time for Victor Reyes and Jacoby Jones. Tim Anderson returned for the White Sox. He went two for five with a run scored. Will Myers, they said he was going to try and play on Thursday. That did not happen. He remained out for the Padres. He is dealing with patellar tendonitis. Byron Buxton and Josh Donaldson were both out of the lineup for the Twins on Thursday. Buxton continues to nurse that hamstring. I knew there was a reason why Chris didn't want to be on the podcast tonight. And the White Sox are hopeful that Dylan Cease will be able to make his start on Friday against the Red Sox. Last but not least, Mike Matheny. Uh, We love the way Mike Matheny is using his bullpen, but he did have an update for Adalberto Montesi, which is not really an update. But he said he's, quote, starting to do more movements. What does that mean? I have I absolutely know. no I idea. I don't know. Did Mon- he just wake up from a coma? I, I don't <laughs> like. I was thinking. I tweeted it out. the The scene from Kill Bill Volume One. Wiggle your big toe. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a good impression. I saw that movie fifteen years ago. But how how do you forget the wiggle your big toe scene? Yeah, that's what I imagined Bondesi was doing. Well, Scott, you can't forget the scene if you've never seen the movie. So. Exactly. Wait, no. I've never seen it? I've never seen Kill Bill, but I saw your gif earlier on Twitter and I thought it was pretty funny. So just add it to the list of of great movies that Frank has not seen. Uh, Mondesi, of course, is dealing with... It's an overstatement, but that's fine. Mondesi is dealing with that oblique injury. There's still no timetable for his return. Uh, Some interesting pictures on Thursday I wanted to highlight here earlier in the podcast and probably could have included Chris Paddock as my oh my goodness gracious player, but... I think Patrick Corbin was probably a little bit worse. I think I think Chris Paddock is still broken, Scott. And I watched mm. his entire start on Thursday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Solid matchup. Should have been able to perform decently well against them. And the final line, I mean, it might look all right, but he really was not good in this start. Five innings pitched, five hits, three runs. Only one of those were earned. Uh, There's a really bad error in right field in the final inning of play. That was not his fault. But two walks, four strikeouts. Paddock had 11 whiffs on 99 pitches. He threw his fastball, which is, I think, a very average fastball at this point. It's 93, 94 miles per hour. It's straight, doesn't have a lot of spin rate. 
he threw the fastball 73% of the time. He only threw his curveball seven times in the start. He's missing his spots. Does not look like he's pitching with any confidence. I dropped him outside of my top 40 starting pitchers, Scott. And look, I'm not dropping him in general off my fantasy team because some people are asking me, is it time to drop Paddock? I'm not doing that. If Trevor Rogers or Carlos Rodon is available, sure. I'll, I'll drop Chris Paddock for either one of those guys. It's pretty shallow league, so yeah. Yeah, but the what, what I'll say about him is if you can trade him for somebody who is a proven commodity who's off to a slow start, maybe it's not another pitcher, maybe it's a hitter, you're looking in another direction, I, I would look to do it. If you could just trade him based off of his name value, I don't know what you're going to be able to get, but I think there's a chance that if Denelson Lamette's healthy and they want to call up Mackenzie Gore, Chris Paddock could be out of this rotation by early May. I, I really don't think that that is some kind of hot take. So do you have any opinions on Chris Paddock? Yeah, that would be interesting to the Padres give up on him sooner than you do in fantasy. So he, Chris Paddock was also on the worrisome among the 12 worrisome pitchers I wrote about. And he was also concerned level red. And uh, basically, I, I mean, you summed it up. I, I went back and read some of the literature from spring training where we were starting to get excited about him again. Oh, yeah, I looked at some video from 2019 because they pointed out and I need to regain the spin on my fastball. And maybe maybe it's a work in progress, you know? Maybe it's not an overnight thing The spins back. That's, that's all I'm holding out hope for, though, at this point because, yeah, the fastball spin with, without the spin he had in 2019, it doesn't seem like it's an effective enough counter to his really good changeup. And a changeup is kind of only as good as the fastball, right? To to a degree, it has to it has to change up something. So, yeah, I, I, I I'm, it's not like Corbin where I'm to the point of dropping him, as you said, but I don't want to start him right now. And I I think that's a uh, yeah if, if you can. If you can target some other slumping player and it's like, you know, change of scenery for both of these guys. But they were, ba- you know, somebody basically who was equiv- equivalent to, to Paddock's draft cost, so you're not really losing anything. But it's it's a player you trust much more to bounce back. I think that makes sense. Trevor Rogers was at the Braves on Thursday. Five innings pitch of two-run balls, seven strikeouts, 14 whiffs on 95 pitches. I don't know that there's anything to add, Scott, outside of our confidence is building in Trevor Rogers. Yeah, I, the velocity wasn't as good in this start it, as it was in in the last one. So I I don't know I don't know if he's going to sustain improved velocity on the fastball. But he did throw his slider a lot for the third straight start. It's clear he has more confidence in that pitch, and it's it's not just fastball changeup anymore. He took the step that Chris Baddock didn't take, and yeah. is uh, is seeing better results as a result. How about on the other side of that start, Scott Ian Anderson? Obviously, going up against the Marlins, five innings pitched, six hits, three runs, four walks, six strikeouts. The whiffs were still really good. 16 whiffs on 98 pitches. The strikeouts have been there for him basically all season. Um, but he has allowed seven earned runs over his last two starts, and he hasn't gone more than five and a third in any start this season. Ian Anderson is the name. Any concern? Yeah, I I feel like I haven't enjoyed having Anderson very much yet, but I don't really see any reason for concern. Four walks, okay, that's not great, and his walk rate wasn't good either, but there were only a combined three walks in the first two starts, so I'm not ready to say that's a problem for him. Like you said, the whiffs have been there. The pitch mix has been comparable to last year. I think he's going to be okay. 
Michael Pineda was going up against the Boston Red Sox. Seven shutout. Ooh, what a start here. J.D. Martinez was not in the lineup, so I'll highlight that for the Red Sox here. Uh, but only two hits, one walk allowed, six strikeouts for Pineda, 15 whiffs on 88 pitches, including 10 on the slider. Over his first three starts, 17 strikeouts to just three walks for Pineda, so the control has been great. The velocity, however, Scott, remains down. It's, it's down about a mile and a half from last year. Um, and obviously, Pineda hasn't thrown more than 146 innings since 2016. So I'm wondering, like, the velocity combined with the injury history, do we have a sell high on our hands here with Michael Pineda? Well, I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, or should you just reap the rewards and, and keep them on your team? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think... Yes, the velocity is down for Pineda. He's survived a big velocity drop before, and the results have been great so far this year. So, you know, I, I just think his slider's so good. He commands so well. It's, it, he's probably going to be okay. But would I trade him for a Max Freed, for instance? Would, would, you trade him, some of those? would you trade him for Ian Anderson? Straight up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. If you can do a trade like that, then yes. Um, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just holding Pineda either. Sure. Yeah, I had him as a sleeper candidate coming into the season. I, I know you liked him as well. So good job, Michael Pineda. Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Aaron Savali was at the White Sox on Thursday. Six innings pitched of one run ball. Only four strikeouts to two whiffs. Nine whiffs on 99 pitches. I liked Savali coming into the season, Scott. There are times where I think he's kind of smoking mirrors because he doesn't get a lot of whiffs. But for the same reasons I liked him, he has a deep pitching arsenal. He's throwing five different pitches more than 10% of the time this year. And he has made a tangible change. He changed his arm slot this year. Not only that, he's changed up his pitch mix a little bit. Has completely ditched his sinker this season, opting to use his four-seam fastball. It's Aaron Savale we're talking about. And last year, opponents hit 310 off of his sinker. So, I mean, he obviously saw that the sinker was a bad pitch, and he's moved on from it, and he's using his four-seam fastball. And so far, so good. I mean... I don't know if he's going to keep this yeah. up, but can he be a high threes ERA? Can he be what we think Zach Plesak is at this point? Maybe a high threes ERA, 1.20 whip, eight Ks per nine, something like that. Sure. I just, I don't know that Savali is going to be amazing. I think he's probably just going to be solid. He might be one of those middle-class guys like Pablo Lopez. I, I can see sure. that. I still don't get the Aaron Savale hype and I understand he's allowed few hits through three starts. Uh, and, and that's great. You, you bank some good starts with him. But supposedly he reinvented himself, like you said, and yet under the hood, everything looks basically the same. And I know there's more there's more to pitching than swinging strikes and ground balls, I know. But if you focus on swinging strikes and ground balls, you're, you're going to be right more often than not. And uh, we're talking about a guy who did, uh, nobody likes to talk about it, but he did have a 474 ERA last year when all was said and done. It was not a good year. So it's not like he's Kyle Hendricks and he's proven uh, he's not even like Zach Davies in that way, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm still skeptical. I'm certainly with you and not thinking there's a especially high ceiling there. Is the floor going to be enough that you're going to be happy rostering him all season? I mean, I'd lean yes, but I, I don't... I, I don't, I'm not as sure as a lot of people seem to be. I think, and this is coming from someone who likes Savali quite a bit coming in, I think he's going to be a fine SP4, SP5 for your fantasy team. It, I, I don't think he's going to completely crush you. Is he going to carry your team? I don't think that either. 
I think he's probably a borderline top 40 starting pitcher that is going to be fine. So that's where I'm at on Aaron Savale. Uh, no, he's not going to have a sub-3 ERA all season. So if you're looking at that and thinking, man, I got this gem, eh, let's just be a little bit more realistic. I think he's probably a, a mid-to-high threes, more of a high threes ERA guy rest of season. The Week 4 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Lining Kugels. Of course, you can find... Scott's articles on CBSports.com where he talks about his favorite sleeper hitters and sleeper pitchers heading into week four. It might be week three for some people if you play in a head-to-head league. But Scott, why don't you get us started with some of your favorite two-start pitchers heading into next week? This is actually a good week for two-start pitchers. Last week was two, but last week was a bunch of aces who obviously you weren't sitting. Uh, This is... A lot of guys the next tier down that maybe you'd have some hesitation, but I'd still lean yes on. So uh, it includes like a Zach Plesak who struggled last time out, Dustin May who may not give you the innings you like, but looks pretty good, Nathan Avaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, even Lance McCullers coming off a bad start and at Colorado for one of the two starts. I'd, I'd still lean yes on that. He was He was having some symptoms from being vaccinated, it sounds like, in that most recent start. So that's encouraging to hear. But most of them are already rostered already. The one who isn't is Brad Keller. And Brad Keller got crushed his first two starts, but then came back strong in the third start and said he made some mechanical tweaks. We know Brad Keller's a pretty good pitcher. So is he somebody who... You're going to, he's he's a pretty good pitcher, but like in the streamer sense. So I'm not saying you're going to pick him up and use him forever and ever, but two-start week versus Tampa Bay at Detroit when he seems to be back on track. That sounds pretty good to me. So he's my favorite two-start sleeper. I mentioned Michael Fulmer versus Pittsburgh versus Kansas City. He's 13% rostered right now. And, you know, it wasn't, yes, it's just one start, but there were, there was quite the buildup to that one start of him showing signs of coming around again. So never profiled as a big bat misser, but he's he start of his career. He had a couple of very useful seasons in fantasy. And I think he can be that still. I do have Joe Ross as a two start sleeper, but that's getting pretty lower on the list. I don't have a lot of confidence in Joe Ross actually, but uh, his first two starts, obviously the results were good. Gave up some weak contact versus St. Louis at New York Mets. You know, so-so matchups, but I have to recommend some pitchers who are available. So (laughs) Joe Ross gets lumped in there with those other two. Uh, Joe Ross does have SPARP eligibility as well for those who play in head-to-head points leagues. And speaking of points leagues, that's probably the only place I would use Brad Keller, Scott, because there is a chance, even going up against Tampa Bay and Detroit, that he could just completely destroy your ratios in a Roto or Headset Categories League. So yeah, I might, no, that makes sense. I might steer clear there on Keller. Uh, Fulmer, someone that I am very excited about, spoke about him yesterday. The velocity all the way back to where it was back in 2016 and 2017 when he first came up in the big leagues. Having said that about Keller, I have my top 10 sleeper pitchers. That's an article that comes. I write three articles on Thursdays. It's insane. It's a normal day for Chris Towers, but it's insane for me. <laughs> and... I uh, I have Brad Keller as um, my number one sleeper pitcher for this week. So if you're if you're saying no Brad Keller in roto leagues, you're saying no sleeper pitcher in roto leagues, which is probably fine. I mean, hopefully you have good enough pitchers 
heading into week four that you don't have to resort to somebody you're picking up off waivers and starting. That's that's always the idea, but it's it's worth underscoring based on your comment there. I also want to mention that Griffin Canning right now, he has the two little baseball icons next to him and uh, shows up in, in on the two-start list in your league. And if he is making two starts, he's probably my favorite of that group. One of them would be against Texas, one against Houston. Whenever Otani gets certain inserted back into the rotation, and it sounds like it could be this weekend, that's going to bump everybody back, including Canning. And so I don't want to tell you Canning's a two-star pitcher and then him not be. But you know, if he just makes one start against Texas, I still think he's a pretty good sleeper. Last question on the two-star pitcher, Scott. We just spoke about Chris Paddock, and the Padres do play seven games next week. So even if he pitches on Tuesday, he would line up for two starts. And he's going up against the Brewers and at the Dodgers. So I tier my two-star pitcher rankings for the website. I have must-start all formats. I have sleepers and questionables. Chris Paddock is the next tier down, which is, I think, like points league only or something. I have him ahead of Michael Fulmer, but I have him behind guys like Jamison Tyone and Jesus Lazardo and Brad Keller. So lean and no on Paddock. Yeah, points league only, I can get behind that. Hashtag protect the ratios. Scott, some single start pitchers that you are looking at heading into next week that have good matchups. Who are you looking at? Uh, I mentioned Canning, Andrew Heaney, also going against Texas and coming off, I believe it was a 10 strikeout effort. Casey Mize going against the Royals. Like to see more whiffs from him, but he's been effective through two starts and he may just be that kind of pitcher looking at his minor league track record who's effective even though he doesn't get strikeouts. Okay, so this is kind of behind Michael Fulmer in terms of how I'd recommend them, which means also behind Chris Paddock. So if you're not planning to start Chris Paddock, you don't need to consider these names. But Danny Duffy at Detroit, we've seen his velocity up, at least in his last start, it was up quite a bit. Dylan Cease at Cleveland, he's supposed to be back after being on the COVID-19 IL. Uh, Joe Ross, and that's a two-star pitcher. I already mentioned him. Nick Pavetta versus Seattle and uh, Robbie Ray at Tampa Bay. Let's move over to some hitters. Got some sleeper hitters that you are looking at for week four who are rostered in less than 75% of leagues. So, somehow Wilson Ramos still is, and the Tigers have the third best matchups this week, according to yours truly. So... I, I I think Wilson Ramos needs to be started in all leagues at this point. I I have him in my top twelve catcher rankings rest of season because it's like who are you showing loyalty to in that range of the catcher rankings? You know, and it's not like he doesn't have a track record. So Wilson Ramos, pretty easy one. Jazz Chisholm, very excited by what we've been seeing from him early on. And the Marlins have the fourth best matchups this week. Adam Eaton who's at 73% rostered, but I, I imagine it's much lower on other sites. That seems suspiciously high. White Sox face nothing but righties, so that's good news for him, and he's been hot. Uh, the Tigers actually have... Uh, I mentioned the Tigers already. They have the third best matchup. So in addition to Wilson Ramos, Jamer Candelario is off to a good start. I think he's he's somebody I can recommend. The Phillies are the ones that have the second best matchups. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm naming the team with the best matchup. It's throwing off my inflection. Anyway, the Phillies have the second best matchups. Uh, I, I do have Andrew McCutcheon on this list. You know, get, he's off to a miserable start, but what do you want? You guys got to be available for me to recommend them. 
And uh, the Red Sox are the team with the best matchups, actually. Actually. And there are four lefties on the schedule in a seven-game week, so might not be a bad time to roll the dice on Bobby Dahlbeck, who's a right-handed hitter who does better against lefties, as many of them do. And uh, this might be what gets him going. Might help you make up some ground in the home run category this week if you start him. Yeah, I know. There you go. Recently, Bobby Dahlbeck had a, I think it was a two-hit game that came on Wednesday. So, any signs of positivity for Bobby Dahlbeck, we will take right now. Just a reminder, the five teams with the best hitter matchups, Scott talked about a few of them already, but the Red Sox are number one, the Phillies number two, the Tigers, the Marlins, and the Astros, the five teams with the worst hitter matchups for next week, the Yankees, the Padres, the Rangers, the Indians, and the Dodgers. So there you have it. The week four pitcher and hitter planners presented by Line and Kugels. And you know, last week I mentioned the weather is heating up. Well, that's not the case in New York. I can tell you that. It's 50 degrees outside right now. Uh, so it's, it's pretty cold. But anyway, you know what makes me feel like I'm sitting poolside on a warm, sunny day? A Line and Kugels summer shandy. It's the awesome blend of crisp beer with refreshing lemonade that fits perfectly when watching a nice game of baseball. And the summer shandy isn't all they offer. They also have a session hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, but it's only 99 calories. And if you're into IPAs, Line and Kugels offers their Lemon Haze IPA, which is a well-balanced, hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. I got to put Heath Cummings on that because I know he's into the IPAs. So no matter what type of beverage you are craving, Line and Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all the delicious beers they brew. We're going to take a quick break. If you're watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you are listening on the audio side, when we come back, we will have prospects to stash here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework. So, Scott, you mentioned all the articles that you were writing on Thursday. An article that you wrote earlier in the week was prospects to stash. And I think you said it was Friday is the date when teams can call players up and have that extra year of service time, correct? Saturday. Saturday is that Saturday day. is 16, uh, 16 days will have passed. And so, yeah, a team can call up a player and keep him up the rest of the season and still get a seventh year of control, basically because the first year doesn't end up counting as a, as a full season. So that's, you know, when people talk about service time manipulation, that's usually what they're referring to. There's also super two, which is more of a midsummer thing, but that's uh, for the, for the biggest 
it doesn't come into play quite as much. And it's more of a guessing game. It's not an exact, this date is when it's safe to do it. So, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we're going to see a bunch of call-ups on Saturday because that's too transparent. There have been too many grievances filed, so much trust lost. And so it's just not safe for teams to do that anymore. But I think next week, certainly have Jared Kelnick and, and Wander Franco stashed away. And they pretty much are already, at least in CBS leagues. Uh, I, I think there's a good chance we see them as soon as next week. Those those are the those are the two biggest ones I'm looking at. Those are the two that for sure you'd want rostered in every league if they were to get the call. So those those are the top two on the list. Yeah, and let's talk about these just in, in groups of five. Well, uh, there was 14 okay. that you wrote about on the list, and Jared Kelnick and Wander Franco were up at the top, number one, number two, obviously. And Kelnick is 75% rostered on CBS. Wander Franco is 68% rostered. I don't know that there's anything else that we need to add about those guys. They're gonna they're expected to be awesome when they are called up. Uh, the other three that I want to highlight here, first and foremost, Sixto Sanchez, Alex Kirilov, and Joe Adele. Uh, Scott, what's the latest on Sixto Sanchez? I know he's dealing with a shoulder injury and the Marlins are going to be pretty cautious with him. Yeah, he's shut down for now. Uh, he, well, he has been back throwing. He has been back throwing only 45 feet. You know, the distance gets longer and longer to to build up the arm strength. So he's, he's still a ways away. Uh, you know, originally when he got sit down, we were thinking when they need a fifth starter mid-April, that's when he's going to be back. Now I'm thinking more like mid-May. Because we, we know it's not gonna we know it's gonna be a while for Sixto Sanchez, but it's not gonna be so long, especially given how proven he already is, that uh, I would be wanting to drop him in in all but the shallowest leagues. Uh Kirloff we already saw in the doubleheader, which to me is even that that's a stronger indication to me that the twins are gonna call him up sooner than later, because remember he was awful in spring training. They called him up for the doubleheader when obviously they didn't have to, and they gave him a start. So they they still, it seems to me, they still feel pretty good about him. With the way Luis Arise is going as their leadoff hitter and Josh Donaldson being back where they need a place to play Arise, I don't know that there's an opening for Kirilov, but like they got a bunch of old and injury-prone guys. There will be, there will be soon enough. I, I think probably Kirilov will be up in April at some point and probably stick around for good. If if he's as good as he's supposed to be, then that'll probably happen. Let's talk about this next group of five. Mackenzie Gore, top pitching prospect in baseball, obviously on the San Diego Padres. Matt Manning of the Tigers. He is one of their big three pitching prospects, I would say, along with Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal. Logan Gilbert, who we've mentioned quite a bit recently, of the Seattle Mariners. Bobby Witt with the Kansas City Royals, who had a massive spring. And Dalton Jeffries, who was in the running to be the fifth starter for the Oakland A's heading into the season, but he lost out on that job. Scott, let's just quickly go through each name and, and give me an ETA guesstimate, if you will. Obviously, yeah, look, I'm not going to hold it against you. It's We're just taking guesses here. But uh, Mackenzie Gore, when do you think we see him? I think we see Mackenzie Gore mid-May. I wish he didn't have those same control problems in spring training that he apparently had at the alternate training site last year. So that makes me nervous. But I still think he is, other than the Sixto Sanchez, of course, the top pitching prospect to stash. What about Matt Manning? Matt Manning, I think we'll see him uh, the next time the Tigers have a rotation spot come up. 
uh, unless Julio Tehran makes it back and before then. I, I think as things stand now, Manning's next in line, and that'll probably happen at some point during the first third of the season. So let's say, I don't know, let's say mid-May for him too. Logan Gilbert? Now that one, I, I could see the Mariners holding out until they feel like that Super 2 date has passed, which again is is an estimate because you don't really know when the Super 2 date was until years later because uh, it's it's complicated. But that's how it works. Late June is... Uh, is what I'll guess for him. It's possible he could be up early, but I, I the Mariners I don't think are contenders this year, and I don't think they think they're contenders, so there's no reason to push him. Bobby Witt hit 289 with three home runs in the spring, and there was talk that he was going to make the team out of camp. When do you think we see him in the bigs? After the All-Star break. It wanna be he's the one, he's the one that I think could stay healthy all year and not reach the majors this year. The rest of these, I think, will be up in the majors at some point this year. He's the one who could maybe not do that. It's it's going to depend how quickly he moves, how how well he performs at each stop. But he's starting at Class A, so that doesn't help. Yeah, and not a manual Class A either. Uh, Dalton Jeffries with the Oakland A's. He had a great spring. 18 innings pitch, only three earned runs, 24 strikeouts. And, I mean... They have Cole Irvin in the rotation, so I kind of feel like this could be pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. It could be Cole Irvin's next turn. It could be, <laughs> um, I don't know, Mike Fires is supposedly working his way back, and I, I guess they got to see what he has left. Uh, but I, I, I think Dalton Jeffries gets a, a turn in the rotation before A.J. Puck does. Puck obviously is on the I.L. right now. I'll say April. I say Jeffries makes his first start in April, late April. The last four on Scott's list of prospects to stash, Nico Horner with the Cubs, Jaron Duran with the Red Sox, Jeter Downs with the Red Sox, and Elliot Ramos of the San Francisco Giants. Scott, just give me one name here, the one that you are most likely to stash. I would assume this is more so in deeper leagues. Well, based on the way I ranked them, I would have to say Nico Horner because that was the idea. But Sure. The one I'm most excited to stash actually is Jeter Downs because I, he's already shortstop eligible. He'll pick up second base. There's a chance he's a base stealer. Good plate discipline, good power. That's probably the one I'm most excited to stash. But it might have he might be he might be delayed longer than some of these others. I will say I do want to point this out. Nico Horner, there's there's kind of a magical day for him. They had to they had to send him down for a total of 36 days to have to and, and then keep him up. They had to send him down for a total of 36 days and they get an extra year of team control. And that would be at some point in early May. You know, Saturday is 16 days into the season, so 20 days after that. Uh, so probably not seeing Horner till May. But I imagine once he's up, he stays up. And you would think a team that's hitting as bad as the Chicago Cubs are right now, they can use someone like uh, Nico Horner, who again, I mean, he he had some playing time in the majors last year and he didn't really perform with it, so... That's fine, but he was yeah. crushing it in the spring. He went 16 it for was. 44. He opened up his stance. It seemed to unlock some power that some evaluators always thought he had. He he could also be a base stealer. So I he could just be Nick Magical, or he could be more magical than Nick Magical. <laughs> uh, David Bodie, just for reference, is batting 107 with a 426 OPS for the Cubs, and Eric Sogard is batting 136 with a 409 OPS. So... Not really sure what else the Cubs need to see, but sounds a lot like service time manipulation to me. 
Let's recap the rest of Thursday's action, Scott. Ronald Acuna, he's pretty good. I don't really know that we need to say anything else other than that, but he hit his league-leading seventh home run. He's batting 442 with a 1492 OPS. Seemingly the only player who's hitting for your Atlanta Braves right now, so at least there's right. that. Dansby Swanson. Season though. is young. Season is young. Dansby Swanson, off to a, a very slow start. Some people have talked about dropping Dansby Swanson. Do not do that. Do not drop Dansby Swanson. He picked up three hits on Thursday, including a double and an RBI. Jay Cronenworth, he's been really good lately. He had a two-by-four on Thursday. What the heck is that? Two doubles, two runs, two RBI, and two walks. And he added a steal for good measure. Scott, should you try and... I don't know that you'll be able to get anything for Cronenworth, but should you try and sell him before Tatis is back with the concern that... Cronenworth is going to share some time with Kim, or do you just think Cronenworth is going well, to Well, that play hasn't happened. He started every game, I'm pretty sure. I, I looked into that earlier, and I, I think it was every single game. Cronenworth has started lefties, righties. Hosmer has sat out in favor of Cronenworth. Uh, so, no, I don't worry about that. I don't know who Cronenworth is yet. He's striking out a lot less. He Right now, he looks like David Fletcher. I know David Fletcher doesn't look like David Fletcher right now, but you know, get in your mind what David Fletcher is, and that's what Jake Cronenworth looks like right now, and that's a solid contributor. But he showed maybe the capacity for more power last year than than Fletcher. Hasn't really shown that yet this year, but that you know you can hold out some hope for that. I guess I'm saying I like Cronenworth more than Fletcher. Jake Cronenworth has a seven percent strikeout rate as of now. Mm-hmm. Uh, his expected slugging is three seventy one. So you're right; he's really not uh, hitting for any power right now. Uh, Marco Gonzalez was at the Orioles. He finally had a decent start. Five innings pitch of two-run ball with five strikeouts. Scott, was this enough for you to hold on to Marco Gonzalez? He's 77% rostered. I don't know that that needs to go up. I think that's about right. I think certainly the Rodgers and Rotans would be picked up over him. Um, But uh, give me somebody a little lower down we've been talking about. How about Kikuchi, his teammate? I'd rather have him than Gonzalez. How about Michael Fulmer? No. How no, about Waskar Enoa? I'd stick with Gonzalez over Enoa. All right. That seems like a pretty fair range. He's probably a top 60-ish starting pitcher then around there. Yeah, I'm confident he's going to be useful. We just know that particularly in the shallower leagues, particularly early in the season, when you have, when somebody who you know you can live without gives you an excuse to drop him. It's kind of nice, you know? And I, his first two starts were so bad that I don't know that that excuse to drop him. Like, I think you could still get away with dropping him, I guess, if you need to. Sticking with the Mariners, Mitch Hanniger hit two home runs across their doubleheader on Thursday. He's now up to four home runs for the season. He's batting 321 with a 956 OPS. You love to see it, man. Mitch Hanniger, he's dealt with so many injuries, so really happy for him that he's getting back on track this early in the season. Justin Dunn, the other pitcher in the doubleheader for the Mariners at the Orioles, five innings of one-run ball, six strikeouts, 12 whiffs on 68 pitches. Fastball velocity is up three miles per hour from where it was last season. He was at 91 this year. He's at 94. He's 6% rostered, Scott. Any interest in Justin Dunn? Well, this is the first time in a long time I've been interested in Justin Dunn. He did walk eight in his previous start, and I think it was like 6.4 per nine last year. So, 
it's going to take more than just this one start. But yeah, it's nice seeing the velocity up. It's nice seeing him get 12 whiffs on 68 pitches. It's going to take more than this, though. You said, he, did he really have eight walks in his last start, Scott? Well, now you're making me doubt myself. No, he did. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I was just, I was, that number sounded so absurd. I was like, did he really have eight walks? <laughs> and yeah, he did. So <laughs> um, not really much there yet with Justin Dunn, but uh, obviously AL only put him on your radar in deeper leagues, but I wouldn't add him just yet. Eddie Rosario went one for three with a walk and two steals on Thursday. He is up to three stolen bases for the season. Uh, he has never What's had- that about? He's never had had more than 11 before. Scott, are you reading my notes? Because that's the exact thing that I had written down. I made my own notes. That's right. right. Professional. He's a professional. Who needs Frank's notes? You know, I just spend like six hours making this rundown. (laughs) (laughs) Yasmani Grandal went 0 for 4. He is batting 133. Scott, we are getting questions about dropping Grandal. Would Would you drop Grandal for Wilson Ramos? That's actually a little below the Ramos line for me. I could see like an attend team one catcher league doing it because just like just always play the hot hand at catcher i guess Mm -hmm. uh but i i wouldn't i would not advise that for most people it's i I think grandal's gonna be just fine lance lynn he's pretty good going up against cleveland six innings of two run ball 10 strikeouts to zero walks he had 14 whiffs on 93 pitches lynn has allowed two earned runs with two walks and 27 strikeouts over his first three starts so if you had not a bust if you had any concern over Lance Lynn, you should not. Should you have concern over Andrew Vaughn? Well, we talk about him every day. Why don't we do it again? He went 0-4 with two strikeouts. They're trying to get him, get him going, Scott. They're starting him, but nothing is happening. So, Well, I, I can't imagine what has prevented him from getting going to this point. Can't imagine. By the way, I wasn't here to talk about this yesterday. Carlos Rodon's no-hitter. You were asking me to comment on it. The most amazing observation I had, I, I could give you from that game, is that Andrew Vaughn was in left field for the ninth inning. Chris talked about that, yep. Okay, all right. Yeah, it was ridiculous. What in the I world? Don't, you know what's even more what interesting in than that, they had, they had four DHs in the lineup, basically. <laughs> yeah. Because they had and, Collins catching. I thought that's what you were going to point out, is that the White uh, Sox have had two no-hitters over the past two seasons, Yasmani Grandal, who's supposed to be... He is a great pitch framer. He didn't catch either one of them. Wow. It's so I just... I found that interesting, so... I, that I is mean, interesting. Are we one step closer to dropping Andrew Vaughn, Scott? It's, it's hard to hold on at this point. It's just not doing anything, even when he plays. I, I, I guess... I guess one step closer... Um, I don't know. I... It really depends on the depth of the league. It depends on the format of the league, too, because, you know, you're talking a points league, it's really hard to have any reserve hitters and because you just need so many pitchers and, and the rosters are so small. Uh, so, yeah, fine, drop him in that format. You can't start him. If, you, if, if, the hit, if the hitter's not good enough for you to start, it's really hard to roster in that particular format. But if you're talking a roto lineup, you know, where you don't need a bench full of hitters... I'd I'd rather hold out for the upside because you know the playing time's coming. Like I, I don't really I don't I guess I don't really get stashing like a Wander Franco and not holding on to Andrew Vaughn, right? I, that doesn't that doesn't totally add up to me. I just think there's a chance that if he continues to struggle, they can send him back to the alternate training site. But I well, well sure there's a chance. You should hold him on you should hold on to him until that happens. It, Hopefully it does. It's about it's about 
stashing upside, just just like you would if you're waiting for a prospect to arrive. I, we thought he was going to. He hasn't. Te- he has technically arrived, but the arrival has been, you know, stilted. So crap. I think the word you're looking for is crap, Scott. <laughs> well, That's what it's the, been. The biggest problem is that he hasn't played regularly enough. Yeah. So it's hard to get in a rhythm when you're not playing all the time. In a points league, yeah. I agree. I think you could drop him. In deeper leagues, any roto format, or if you play in a deeper points league, I think you should still hold on to Andrew Vaughn. Josh Harrison had two more hits on Thursday. I know it's weird. I'm talking about Josh Harrison. Whatever. It's that point in the podcast. He has eight hips. Hits, not hips. He has eight hits <laughs> over the first four games of the season. Uh, he is 3% rostered, so in the deepest of leagues. Carson Kelly uh, went two for four on Thursday. He had his second home run of the season. 63% rostered was actually much higher than I thought for Carson Kelly, but he's off to a nice start. Uh, Victor Robles batting ninth again. A check in the column for one Scott White, who was not buying it in the spring. Victor Robles it went 0 for two with a walk. On Thursday, he has been quite bad. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., we talked about the launch angle for him on yesterday's podcast. Well, he said, take this for launch angle, and he hit his third home run of the season. He went three for four. Kind of looks like the Vlad breakout is currently happening. Rowdy Telez went two for four. He now has six hits over his last four games. I dropped him in a 15-team Roto League this week. It's been a rough week for your boy because I dropped Rowdy Telez in one league, and I dropped Adam Duvall in another, so... Yay, go me. Ryan McMahon, he hit his sixth home run of the season, and it came off of Julio Arias, some lefty-on-lefty action. Um, I'm kind of excited about Ryan McMahon, Scott. He's playing every day. Yeah. He's striking out less than ever before. He's hitting more fly balls than ever before. Yeah. I'm. No, that's, that's basically it. Now, now, the last time we checked in on Ryan McMahon, or at least I checked in on him, that was after his three-homer game. And, and the strikeout rate... Well, gosh, it was so early in the season. He had three strikeouts at that point, but then he went four. He went four straight games without striking out, and suddenly his strikeout rate looks amazing. So it there's a little bit of early season math there with the strikeout rate, obviously. But if Ryan McMahon is going to be good, this is what it would look like. Maybe it's happening. Maybe it I'm is. Keeping an, I'm keeping an open mind. I'm I'm pretty hyped. I picked him up in the podcast league with the team that I share with Adam. And obviously Adam had no input in, in us picking him up, but I'll just take all the credit there. The Dodgers have played 11 games. Justin Turner has multiple hits in seven of them. He hit his fourth home run on Thursday. So far, so good for Justin Turner. But you know the deal. He's older. He's probably going to get hurt at some point. If you can flip Justin Turner for someone that you think has higher upside... I would definitely look into doing that. Well, did you see the Dodgers lineup tonight, Frank? Because, yeah, Justin Turner sat out three times already, and we were worried about that. Corey Seager sat out tonight. Mookie Betts, his third game back, sat out. Like, yeah, they're what being is, what is, really cautious early in the season. They're, they're Greg Popovich, right? He's the guy in the NBA. Like, uh, who's that, Scott? We, we know we're going to be there at the end. So, like, <laughs> Why tax these players now? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think he'll keep that going all season. I think I think that's something that's easier to do in April than July. But but yeah, it's it's a little you, you you don't like seeing it. You do not. You hate to see it, as the kids say, Scott. The call to the pen. We spoke about the Mariners. Kendall Graveman picked up the save in Game One of the Mariners doubleheader. Yada yada. Scott Service said. 
the hitters lined up better to use Montero in the sixth, Graveman in the seventh. If you play in a category league or a deeper league, I would be looking to add Kendall Graveman, especially if you have Rafael Montero. You might want to just handcuff those two together. For Cleveland, Nick Wickren was used in the seventh, James Karinczak in the eighth. Karinczak did face the heart of the lineup, the three, four, and five hitters. And Emmanuel Class A was used in the ninth. He allowed, allowed an unearned run, but did pick up his third save of the season. Stefan Crichton pitched in the ninth for the D-backs when they were up 11-6. to six. I don't know if that matters, but just thought I would tell you guys. Yeah. For the Royals, Scott Barlow had a two-inning save. He had came in in the eighth, got through the inning in six pitches, and so they just left him out there for the ninth. Greg Holland was warming up in the ninth inning. I think it was Marcus Simeon hit a single, so they started warming up Holland. I don't think there's a closer in Kansas City, but maybe somebody will emerge. Let's just wrap up with a few emails here, Scott. We haven't got to many emails lately, so I apologize to you, the listeners and viewers out there. This one's from Luke. In the spirit of the Carlos Rodon sell-high discussion from yesterday's podcast, yeah, we talked about that a little bit too, Scott. I'd like to throw an offer that I have on the table now for your insight. 10-team Dynasty Daily Points League. Keep all players in perpetuity. No contracts, 10 hitters, 7 pitchers, 8 bench spots, 9 minor league spots. Give up Carlos Rodon and Matt Chapman for Jesus Lazardo. Dynasty okay, so the di- points. Yeah, the, di- the dynasty angle makes it interesting because if you just look at my rest of season rankings, uh, well, Lazardo's further ahead of Rodon than I thought. Yeah, I I think a dynasty league, and it be, it being such a shallow league, ten teams. I think that's I think that's fine. Yeah, I would agree with that. As great as Rodon has looked, he has a bunch of injuries in his history. And um, yeah, Matt Chapman Sorry, is that was a cough. Sorry, uh, came I, on suddenly. I didn't know if you were scoffing at my. You know, no, I wasn't. What yeah. is? Does Frank even know? Want to clarify? About? Yeah. <laughs> this next one's from McGarry. Great to trade. Give up. Oh, this is a big one. Give up Jose Barrios, Francisco Mejia, Reese Hoskins, Brent Honeywell, and a first round pick. Get back Ronald Acuna, Yadier Molina, and a third round pick. This is a 25 keeper dynasty league. Well, if you're going to trade for Acuna in a dynasty league with that little turnover, you got to pay out the nose for him. And frankly, I I, I think the ask could have been much worse than this. I, I think you, I I think like you did this. well for yourself. I, uh, I will give this uh, an A. This last one's from Terry, 12-team points league. Jonathan India is now second base eligible. I had him at third with Cabrian Hayes back. When, with Cabrian Hayes out, when Hayes is back, do I cut Jonathan India or Gavin Lux? Who was not in the lineup on Thursday? And Lux, since we waxed poetically about him, that's that's become like our favorite expression on the podcast this year. Uh, Since we did that, he's been... Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. So I'd lean Lux, actually. Yeah, 12-team yeah, league. Yeah, I'd lean Lux. I'd lean dropping Lux, Lux for Hayes. Maybe maybe it'll change by the time Hayes comes back, but the way things look right now, I'd rather have India than Lux. It's early in the season. There's a lot changing, a lot going on. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.